You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. took the lead in the AFC East with a win over the Patriots 33-21, and that means it's time for my Buffalo Blues. Good victory Monday, Bills Mafia. The Bills went on the road to New England took care of business and won by two scores to retake the lead in the AFC East and gain control of the tiebreaker situation and all but secure themselves a much needed playoff spot. It was a close game for a while, no doubt. Um, It was tied at seven early. Uh, The Bills scored first on really just a fantastic drive uh, to get up 7-0. And the Patriots responded and it was 7-7 and we we knew we were in for a good game. They answered with a 13-play 75-yard drive of their own to score. So, uh, you know, I think that was ending, yeah, end of the first quarter. Right after that, they scored on that Damian Harris touchdown run to tie it. But, what we saw with the Bills opening drive is I, I'm pretty sure this was like the concept going into the first game in Buffalo. Um, just the wind conditions were so bad that the Bills couldn't really do what they wanted to do. But it seemed like the idea was kick the ball away, shut New England down on their first drive, and then get up a score and play with the lead. And then you're going to have to force you know Mac Jones to have to get into the game a little bit more at some point if you're playing with the lead. And so they came out, they three and out of the Patriots on their first possession, and then they went down the field and just carved them up on their way to the end zone and took a 7-0 lead. And they just, they have the possession advantage at that point because they're getting the ball at the half. And you can see how much that dictated uh, the difference in the game in the first game in Buffalo, uh, with New England getting the lead first and the Bills having to play catch-up in bad weather, it's just not a recipe that was uh, built for success on the back of what the Bills do well. So these were pretty decent conditions, and uh, they came out looking good. Allen looked good, uh, even without Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley and Cody Ford. You know, the offense did exactly what you would have expected them to do uh, had the win conditions not been so bad in the first game. And I still had confidence that the way that game went was kind of a misnomer because of the weather and that if the Bills could throw the ball effectively and kind of play their offense, we would see a much different style of game and a much different overall matchup between the two teams. So... We got a Isaiah McKenzie touchdown on that first drive to open the scoring up. And I will say 
Ike looked great. I think he had 11 catches. Um, I'll double check that for you. He had 11 for 125 and a touchdown on 12 targets. So he looked fantastic. Uh, he's not quite the he's not quite the route runner that Cole Beasley is. Uh, Cole is a, a very very good route runner, and Isaiah is not a bad route runner. But his biggest strength is his speed and his quickness, his ability to stop and start, accelerate, get out of those cuts. Uh, and so they used him a lot in motion to give him a little bit of a running start and you really you can't keep up with him in kind of that short space so they really use that to their advantage well Brian Dable I think given the uh not the handicap but given the the short staffed uh wide receiver position Dable really drew up some fantastic play designs here to get the most out of the personnel on the field and I know this is going to sound crazy that like not having Davis and not having Cole Beasley, uh, it was a good thing. I don't think it was a good thing. I mean, I'm just going to say that there were some positives to be taken from it because limiting those guys or not having those guys, sorry, limits the amount of plays that are in your playbook. And what it did was it forced the Bills to just max out the personnel that they had available and that's really kind of what we saw from the bills last season which uh was when their offense was at its most explosive is that they were just you know they weren't like super deep at any of these positions they basically had four wide receivers and a young and fairly inconsistent dawson knox and a similarly inconsistent running game so they had to just maximize their efforts with the guys they had on the field and kind of losing those two receivers and not having you know their availability really forced Brian Dable to to look at what the team does and find ways to streamline what they're best at and so I thought he did a great job with uh his utilization of Singletary um both in the run game and uh out of the backfield he ended up also with five catches for 39 yards uh, to go with his 39 rushing yards on 12 carries. So he was super involved. I mean, that's 17 total touches, which is probably more than we've seen from him in a while. He's When he's being featured, he's usually getting about 14 to 15 carries and somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, three catches. Um, but Breda, Matt Breda, was a scratch for this game. They brought Moss back because I figure they were probably going to have to use him a little bit here and there but he didn't really touch the ball that much because uh motor has been playing so well and realistically it was the i want to say yeah the new orleans game on thanksgiving uh he didn't like kill it with the yardage i think he only had like 44 yards something like that in that game but the way he ran in that game let me know that he was going to be the guy because he's got the best combination of speed elusiveness and power between the three of their backs and is he like a jonathan taylor no but he's been running really hard and he had a play in this game against new england where he caught like a swing pass on the sideline for maybe like a one yard gain and then he just put his head down and fought for a first down just carried defenders for another seven eight yards and got that first down and you know that's the kind of effort that's going to get him more playing time and that's the kind of stuff that you want to see from the guy who's going to be your number one back I also like uh, seeing him more involved in the passing game 
over the middle of the field because Moss has struggled in that area a lot this season. Um, so I think they were bringing Moss in to be a passing down receiver and he would come in and block and then just kind of hedge out once he hits the block or once there's nowhere to go, just curl behind the offensive line there and uh, be a little dump off for Allen. But that play was not consistent for them. And his ability to catch that ball, make a guy miss and get a first down from that position is also not as good as Singletary. So I think what we've really seen the last like month plus of the season is Singletary emerge as the clear number one guy in the backfield. Um, it's not that Moss and uh, Brita don't have their upside as well, but in terms of the guy I would like to see get the ball the most, uh, I'm happy with Singletary being in that position. Um, so yeah, back to the game flow. It was 7-7, uh, and really New England was leaning very heavily on Damian Harris, who uh, had himself a very good game. Uh, 18 for 103 and three touchdowns. He was the whole offense for them, more or less. Uh, Mac Jones looked like a rookie. He threw a couple of picks. His accuracy was not great. He's 14 of 32. I think that speaks, though, to uh, the Bills' consistent pressure on him. It's not that he was just missing wide-open throws without issue. Uh, the Bills were in his face, and they force some of those inaccurate throws so I've had this discussion with people in the past about like what constitutes a pressure and to me like well first of all it's quarterback hurries plus knockdowns I think is pressures <clears throat> so to me what does a knockdown on the quarterback matter if he accurately gets the ball away or what does a hurry matter for that you know for that matter if the quarterback is able to just like step up and make the throw so the idea that the bills lead uh in pressures because they hit the quarterback a lot and because they make the quarterback hurry a lot you know i think that's a false metric of effective pressure because if you're stepping up if the quarterback's stepping up in the pocket and connecting on the throw or he's just checking down and going to a wide open receiver like, sure, you got into the backfield and you made him check down, but the result of the play should still indicate whether or not, like, your pressure is actually successful. But in this game, we saw their pressure be very successful because Mac Jones was less than 50% completions. He threw two interceptions. Uh, and the Bills' defense just looked really good. It looked like the number two overall defense in football playing against a rookie quarterback and he wasn't able to hide behind running the ball 50 times because the conditions didn't dictate the Bills offense being slowed down and you know there's a lot of back and forth with everybody trashing Mac Jones and to be realistic he's by far the best quarterback of the rookie class I think um He's got the best numbers. He's also in the best system success-wise. But he doesn't turn the ball over as much as these other guys. He's got more yarders than these other guys. He's got more touchdowns than these other guys. So, yeah, he landed in the most favorable situation of all the rookies. But he's also playing the best. And he's leading a team with a winning record. So, despite me not caring for Mac Jones or not thinking that he's, like, 
you know, an elite talent at quarterback, he's getting the job done. And in this game, he didn't play well because, you know, he finally had to play against a really good defense and didn't have a safety net. So I think we just saw a rookie quarterback looking like a rookie. And all of them have had bad games this season. And he may not end up being the best rookie quarterback of this class. But in terms of this year's success, he's definitely at the front of the pack. Um, but there was this thing of like, oh, he's not, uh, like, he's just, he doesn't have the arm talent, yada, yada. And it's like, okay, maybe all that stuff is true. But regardless of whether or not he's got the arm talent you want or the athleticism or the speed, it's like, his mind seems to be in the right place. Um, he he demonstrated leadership in this game when the game was getting chippy. You know, he just ran up and kind of like gathered his players and got them away from confrontation for unnecessary flags. And he tried to keep his team in it. And for the most part, like they stayed in it. Um, but I understand looking at him play and being like, okay, this guy is not Justin Fields or... Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance or Zach Wilson who cracked off like a 56 yard touchdown run like he's none of those guys physically but his intelligence and his gamemanship allow him to be in a position where he doesn't like overextend but as we saw in this game if your defense is good enough to make him overextend he's vulnerable so the good defenses are able to do that to him but a bad defense can't do that so I think that really does give a lot of credit to what the Bills defense did in this game. It wasn't just, you know, Mac Jones sucks. It was that the Bills defense is good. And I think the more you say Mac Jones sucks, the less credit it gives a very good defensive performance uh, from Leslie Frazier's defensive unit. Because now in the two games, I think the first game in the bad conditions, it was like 241 yards of total offense. In this game, the Bills' defense only gave up 288 yards of total offense with much better conditions. Um, so that speaks volumes about the Bills' defense and just, you know, give credit where credit is due to Mac Jones, even though we don't like him. Uh, he's played well this season. The Patriots are 9-6 and six in part because he's played well. Um, and the Bills' defense stepped up and shut him down, so... I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to say it, uh, but we'll just we'll move on. It was 7-7. Uh, seven, seven. The Bills ended up coming down and adding a field goal to make it 10-7. Uh, and then they picked off Jones early in that game. I think it was, no, it was early second quarter they picked off Mac Jones. Uh, and that was, that was Micah Hyde. And then the Bills, they had the ball starting at the New England 33, so they were basically in field goal range to start the drive. They already have the lead 10-7. And so they know they have the possession lead. They know they're getting the ball to start the second half. Time is winding down. And it comes down to a fourth and one at the New England one. And Sean McDermott decides to go for it. And so this is the kind of decisions that maybe have led to some, some questionable outcomes, right? Uh, McDermott decides to go for it on fourth and one. And they actually draw up the right play here for the most part. And Allen finds Emmanuel Sanders, who's coming back from injury, and he just throws a dart to him. And Sanders like, just didn't react fast enough and 
ball hit him, I think, in the shoulder, in the hands, and wasn't able to complete it. So they're still up 10-7, but they have New England pinned at the one-yard line there. And this is a situation where I'm going to say that going for it is definitely the right decision. Because uh, you could kick the field goal there, be up 13-7, kick off, and then New England strings together another drive, whatever, from the 25-30 yard line. They just run the ball, they get into field goal range maybe, and kick it, and it's 10-10, and then you're starting with the ball deep in your own zone. You probably don't score there. You might, but you're going to try and race against the clock to maybe get a field goal and maybe make it, uh, it would have been, I think, what, 13-10 in that scenario before the half? So they go for it. They pin New England deep at their one. They trust their defense, which, again, says a lot about what Leslie Frazier was doing out there. And they get a quick little three and out. Uh, New England punts, and then the Bills get a redo with a three-point lead inside New England territory. Uh, and they string together another one. And this one, it's a Diggs touchdown on a nice, great little just, like, seam route. Uh so they kind of like, they see the double team on Diggs at the line of scrimmage. So they snap the ball. Allen looks right, uh, sells it to the right side, waits for the interior or the inside defender there to get off of Diggs within that first five yards. And then Diggs just nice little like subtle move to create the angle. And Allen throws a laser to him in the end zone uh, for the touchdown. And now it's 17-7. And the Bills are in full control, two-score lead late in the first half. And New England ends up uh, punting on five plays. And the Bills get the ball back, take that 10-point lead into the half. Then they're coming out of the half, getting the ball back. And they tack on a field goal there on that drive. That, you know, they were in a situation where they were almost going to go for it again because they got down to first and 10 at the 12 and they had a touchdown nullified by uh ineligible man downfield and now this penalty i don't know i want to say in the last like six games i've seen it like three to four times like they've been hit, getting hit, hit with this one a lot um and on the following play they get dinged with a a penalty again this time dawson knox with a hold so now it's first and 25 after the two penalties. And Allen's able to get a little bit back to dig. So they have a manageable second and long still, but second and about half the distance that it was. Uh, he misses Kumaro at the 16. And then he goes, uh, he kind of like scrambles and throws the ball away under pressure from the 16. And they, and they come and they bring the field goal unit out. So it's like, yeah, it's fourth and 14. You can't really go for it there but from that first and 10 at the new england 12 had they not been penalized on back-to-back -back plays and they ended up with like say fourth and one or two inside the new england 10 there's a good chance that they're going to go for it again there and i think they would still be in the right especially you know up 10 at that point they were really trying to make a statement and go for the throat and then worst case scenario sure you're up 10 Maybe they maybe they kick the field goal there and they just move it to a 13-point game and get themselves kind of in position to to win the game. But regardless, they ended up settling for a field goal on that play. Uh, but New England responds. They put together another long, sustained drive, seven minutes. Uh, 
And so the only problem with like how New England does this is that it takes up half a quarter every time they drive the ball because Mac Jones is out here like chunking the defense on big plays. So their other touchdown drive was, let me see, where is it? Where is it? It was 13 plays, 75 yards, seven minutes. So realistically, New England, best case scenario, will score once per quarter. And that's going to kill them against a team that's got a good defense and plays with the lead. So we saw again here, it's like, okay, they drive uh, the length of the field. Well, 75 yards, 7 minutes, 21 seconds. So they go this whole way. They end up scoring the touchdown. Um, and they cut it to 20 to 14 there. But they use the entire third quarter. So they're still down 6. They're still a field goal away from being a two-score game at any given moment if the Bills just kick a field goal. So they're still really like playing behind the eight ball, which is exactly the kind of game that the Bills knew they could win if they get into with New England. So the Bills respond to that um, touchdown drive with a touchdown drive of their own. Uh, this one is Singletary's touchdown from the two-yard line. The Bills started at their own 34, and then they got a couple of big plays. The biggest one was uh, Isaiah McKenzie's 28-yarder on this one, and that got them to the New England 25, so they're in field goal range there. They get a Dawson Knox first down, and then they hand it off to Singletary twice from inside the five-yard line. He scores on the second one. So that's the kind of power football that you would usually – well, that we've seen Zach Moss be brought in to handle. But again, I'm glad that Singletary is getting these carries because he's earned it. And he's shown that he's capable of being a, a power running back. Not, you know, not a Derrick Henry type or, you know, uh, A.J. Dillon or some of these guys. But for his size, like he's shown pretty good power because he's got a low center of gravity. Um, and he must be, you know doing double leg days or something because he's looked really strong the last like six weeks uh he scores they went for the two and they didn't get it uh so they're up 26 14 at that point so still comfortably up two full possessions uh new england responds with another like fairly lengthy drive you know there's inside 12 minutes left in the game 75 yards four minutes off the clock Damian Harris punches in uh his third touchdown of the day so if you had Damian Harris in fantasy you were super stoked for this one uh and he cuts it to 26 21 so they're still down five uh the missed two-point conversion from the Bills makes it a one-score game so it's a little confusing. I know they wanted to get it to, you know, 28 to 14 right there, but I don't understand why they felt it necessary to go for two there because the difference between a 13 and a 14 point game, you know, isn't that much. And the difference between a 13 point game and a 12 point game is, you know, ultimately substantial here because New England cuts it to five and they're within a touchdown. So 
the Bills have to respond. You know, a field goal in this situation would get it back to eight. So it's like, yes, the pressure's still on New England there. Um, but tieable under certain circumstances. So the Bills do what they did all game. They go out there, they put a 13-play, 75-yard drive together, five minutes. And this is the Dawson Knox miracle pass here. It's not a miracle. It was just, you know, a... a crazy little flip play that worked out very nicely uh and the bills go up 33 21 and you know up 12 again there that's basically the end of it with two and a half minutes left um but just as a little bit of icing on the cake uh micah hyde comes over and uh picks him off again and then the bills take a knee it's victory formation and that's the end of the game so ultimately it was competitive for the majority of the game so i think that you know says a lot about the quality of the patriots but i think it also speaks a ton about the quality of the bills and a lot of people had already written the bills off before this game started uh they looked at the previous game and didn't really use context to shape their opinion of how that game went you know, we had the Jerry Sullivans of the world and all the media personalities like saying that the the Bills got big brothered by the Patriots and blah, 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 blah. But I think any logical football fan that watched that game could tell that the Bills offense was still able to function and just didn't cash in some red zone opportunities there. So, you know, that could have been a very different game had the Bills played with the lead. Uh, on those first two possessions that they didn't score after stopping the Patriots in that first game. Uh, and it was still a winnable game the whole way. The Bills are, you know, a red zone uh, possession away from still winning that game. So, yeah, the the national narrative got shaped oddly after that one. But I think we all understood who this Bills team is. Um and this is the team that I saw in the second half of the Tampa Bay game. They are a dangerous team. They're a well-coached team. Uh, we saw Sean McDermott be consistently more aggressive in this game. I think wanting to put more pressure on Jones. Uh, wanting, to, wanting to score and just like continue to play from ahead and put the emphasis on... Mac Jones having to make a play at some point to win the game. And in a couple of instances where they were forced to let Mac Jones make those plays, you know, the Bills defense stepped up and showed why they, you know, are arguably the best defense in the league. So very happy. Uh, it was like having Christmas on back-to-back -back days with the Bills winning. And the division is theirs to lose now uh but they got a couple lesser games on the way out that they should win so as long as they stay focused and they don't fall behind in the record they will likely be 11 and 6 on the season uh i was not as uh i was not as optimistic about the bills being like a 14 and 3 team this season i just thought like you know last year they were 13 and 3 they surprised a lot of people, but now they're going to have targets on their back. Everyone's going to know what they want to do and how they want to do it. 
So I figured 12 and 5 would be realistic in terms of them still playing well, but also taking a slight step back with a longer schedule in terms of winning percentage. So if they finish 11 and 6 and win the division, won't be too far off from that. Uh, they're still likely going to, well, they'll host a playoff game as a division winner, and then they will end up uh, on the road most likely. Uh, and I don't want to put, like, you know, the cart in front of the horse with this, but the Bills, you know, they're a playoff team. Uh, they just have to go out there and prove it. I mean, we saw what happened to the Chargers this week against Houston. You can't, like, take any of these games for granted. And ultimately, with both the Chargers and the Ravens, I think they were needlessly aggressive in a couple of their games with the division on the line not valuing how important the division lead was and so the ravens you know they threw it away trying to convert two-point conversions on back-to-back -back games and failing to do so on both of those and then they get a heads-up game against cincinnati for the division lead and the bengals absolutely just blow the doors off of the ravens defense uh they smoked them the whole game. Uh, after that first drive where it was like 7-3 Ravens, Cincinnati never looked back. They just, they completely dominated them. And the Ravens uh, are in a position where they might miss the playoffs now after being, I think, 8-2 and two at one point, uh, after having the best record in the AFC at one point. Uh, and the Chargers are right there with them because that game against Kansas City, uh, they didn't really value the idea that this was for the division. And they played that game needlessly aggressive against a Kansas City team that they were mostly dominating. And they just kept opening the door for that Kansas City team. And Kansas City eventually comes, beats them. And now the Chargers uh, have lost back-to-back -back games and are sitting at 8-7, and seven, tied with the Raiders, but behind the Colts. Uh, Ravens are also at 8-7, and seven, but the Patriots are 9-6. and six. So if the playoffs were to start today... Uh, it would either be, I think the Chargers or the Ravens are in that battle for that last wild card with the Raiders because it would be Bills, Patriots, uh, <clears throat> Bengals, Titans, Colts, and Chiefs. And then there's the one extra wild card spot available. So, I don't know. You can't mess around in this NFL. So, I don't want to. I don't I, like. I don't want to guarantee anything. Obviously, the Bills have not clinched the playoffs yet. The Dolphins are seven and seven, and hopefully, they come and beat New England and eliminate New England from the playoffs. That would be hilarious. Um, but there's still uh, there's still a lot up for grabs in the AFC because only the Jets, the Texans, and the Jags are eliminated. And other than that, the worst team standing wise is seven and eight, and they're only a game back of the final wild card spot. So. These next two games have a lot on the line uh, for every team involved. It's, I mean, if Kansas City were to lose the final two and the Bills were to win the final two, they would, uh, the Bills would leapfrog them to take over at least their positional seed. If the Titans were to lose the last two, the Bills would leapfrog them and the Bills could get to the number one seed. But their road to the number one seed is, it's rocky at best. But they need to focus on what's in front of them. 
and that is just maintaining their division lead and winning the easy games that they have left. Uh, let me check in on that for you. It is the Falcons, who the Bills should definitely beat, and the Jets, who the Bills should definitely beat. So if they go in there and they handle business against those two teams, they finish 11 and 6, they win the division, they give themselves at a number 1 seed. They give themselves a chance, sorry, at the number 1 seed. It's still an outside possibility, but it's possible, so you might as well uh, play for it as long as it's there. And they're just going to need a little help uh, from some of the Chiefs opponents and some of the Titans opponents. Uh 49ers beating the Titans really would have helped in that one, but you know, it is what it is. The Chiefs uh, don't have easy games on the way out. They play the Bengals in an interesting matchup of division leaders, and then they play the Broncos. So, division game and division leader game. So, the Bills definitely have the easiest road to getting into the playoffs now. Uh, so, they just gotta go out there and handle business, you know? Uh, it was nice to see you know, Spencer Brown back on the right tackle position. Sorry, before I finish and get completely sidetracked, I did want to say the Bills offensive line played uh, exceptionally well in this game. They didn't give up a sack. Uh, getting Dawkins back was, you know, awesome in terms of dealing with Matthew Judon and getting Spencer Brown back to the right side of the offensive line helped a lot as well. So, also, Brian Dable deserves a ton of credit for this game. Just the game that he called, he understood that they need to get that ball out, and they just took a lot more short throws. And so I've been saying all season that everybody that wants the Bills to throw on every play, it's not a good idea. You know, they've lost every single game where they've called in at least 50 pass plays, and... In this game, they were right on the bubble. They called in 49 pass plays, but they also called in 26 total runs. So the play distribution is in the Goldilocks zone for where I think the Bills are most successful, and that's the 60-40 range with, in this game, it was 65% uh, passing, 35% rushing, and that's fantastic. They had 10 designed quarterback runs for Josh Allen, which is something that we saw was available in the last uh, game against New England and it just didn't quite get utilized uh, so that that 60-40 split is about where the Bills are most efficient they didn't quite get to 50 passes uh, or 50 pass plays Allen ended up being 30 of 47 for 314 uh, air yards 24 uh, ground yards on scrambles and 3 touchdowns on plays that were called passes and then they had 10 design runs for him 16 called runs for the running backs uh so yeah brian dable leslie frazier sean mcdermott they all deserve a lot of credit i know this game was huge for them and they were kind of getting dragged since the last time uh these two teams met so happy for them happy for the bills happy for bills mafia happy holidays and that's it. Thanks for joining. We'll be back uh, with the Pick'em Show on Saturday as usual. And until next time, you know, thanks for listening and uh, go Bills. Thanks to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please help me out by liking, subscribing, sharing, wherever you get your podcasts. This show is an extension of the shice.com. 
If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me at info at And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills! <laughs>